Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Well, today we have a program that is set up just simply to walk through some some ideas for all of us to go through when we're thinking about investing. And so the team that we have here, we've got Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan, Drew Johnson, and they are going to help us understand subjects like some common misconceptions that we have about investing, about the bond market. Drew's going to dive in, so helped us with some things about the bond market. But then we're going to get with Scott, and we're going to put this all together just as a fundamental economic 101 class and how to understand the stock market, economics, recession, and the idea behind inflation and making it so that it's not so complicated. I don't know about you guys, but... We're for you, and we want you to understand that sometimes we talk in languages that are a language that seems to be confusing. Well, we're going to do our best today not to do that and make sure that we're communicating so that we can spend the summer enjoying a great summer vacation and not worrying about the economy. Up first, certified financial planner, Steve Anderson. Welcome to the program, sir. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. Well, you know what the subject, Steve, that you're going to help us go through first and foremost as the other two join us in a few minutes is some common investing misconceptions and the idea behind that, you know, the market is too expensive or, you know, we've all had that before or maybe the price earnings ratio is, you know, those are concepts. Uh, they're, they're terms that sometimes we get caught up in. But I'd like for you to start, first of all, with the one that, you know, a lot of people do, buy low, <laughs> which was not a bad time, and sell high. That's a great con conception. It's just not as easy as it is to say it. That, that's exactly right. And, and um, I, I like what you, when, when you started there, you were talking about communication. I think the goal today is communicate, not just talk. Amen. Yeah. And, and with, these, with these misconceptions, a lot of these are actually birthed out of good advice. It's just that there are caveats to all rules of thumb and all good advice. So buy low, sell high. I would venture to guess that most people listening to this, for, for the most part, are invested in funds right? Mutual funds, ETFs, that index funds, that type of thing, and probably largely in their IRAs and 401ks. And so the buy low, sell high, it's a good idea birthed out of a real truth. You want to buy something for cheaper than you later sell it. But for most people, if you're investing in funds, you have to remember inside the fund, they're buying and selling stocks. And buy low, sell high is good advice for them because they're going to buy the stocks low and sell them high. But a bad idea is for you to look at your fund and try to buy it low and sell it high. They're doing that inside of the fund. So I think that's the first thing I would say about buy low, sell high, is just be aware of what you're owning. If it's funds, 
this is really not meant to address that. And when you talk about funds, you're, you're, again, you mentioned the 401k plan, or if you're just doing your own personal investing, you know, and you're using a fund group to do right. that with, you've got the manager that's, and you talk about this before on the program, and that is that some people think, well, if I'm buying funds, that's passive investing. Yeah. So wrong. Yeah, that's so wrong. And, and in fact, one of the things we've been talking with our clients a lot about is when we get this volatility, when we get a time like now where it's, oh, inflation's high and there's, and there's concern and, and, and just the tension starts to rise, we have this action bias. We tend to want to do things. And again, uh, with funds, mutual funds, index funds, ETFs and, and the like, um, just because you're not doing something doesn't mean nothing is happening. Uh, most of the time, and I venture to say almost all the time, inside the funds, the managers that are hired to make these decisions they're doing things. We've been on calls with, with managers a lot over the last six months, and they're doing things. So just because you're not doing something doesn't, doesn't mean no, nothing is happening. All right. With that in mind, uh, let's talk about the – because one of the misconceptions is sometimes that you say – you hear people say, well, I'm not going to buy a fund for as I'm having to pay the manager this uh, you know, yeah. enormous enormous amount of money yeah and what's the misconception there i mean that's that's a real i see that i hear that what do you say yeah that's said uh, there there's a great uh a great talking point that seems to be more and more popular lately because information's so prevalent right uh this idea that the best way to get great results is to pay as little as possible in fees now I, i'm a financial advisor right and and so obviously part of the way I get paid is from, from fees. So this may be, this may sound self-serving, but the reality is to get good advice, to get advice in any, in any form, you've got to pay for it. So like all forms of cost, if you're getting something that's worth paying for, that's a good thing. So the bottom line on this is eliminating fees is, is a tool and is a good tool in, in moving towards having a, a successful investment uh, portfolio, but it's one of many tools that should be used. So it's not the only thing. That's a good point. So Steve, certified financial planner, Steve Anderson. Let me step into Scott Jordan. Scott over here, also certified financial planner. Scott, the idea behind fees, I mean, I think Steve did a great job answering it, but but I'm saying, I'm thinking from a mindset now, if I'm, if I'm trying to make the best and I get a 10% return, but that mutual fund manager is going to charge me just using for, for just simple explanation, 100 basis points, a percent. So my net gain is 9%. Oh, my goodness, that's not good. Well, you know, fees are something that you, like Steve said, you always have to pay attention to it because that is a drag on your performance. But I think what you have to ask yourself is, are you truly profiting from that advice, right? Um, you know, yes, it does cost money to get advice, whether that's using an active manager on a fund or an ETF or you're hiring a financial professional. There is a cost to that. But you have to ask yourself, am I going to profit from that versus a do-it-myself kind of mentality? And, you know, for most people, I think having that discipline process of a, of a manager that's experienced in investing, because it's tough for even the most seasoned investor to handle a lot of volatility and to really understand the market. So I think, you know, it's a question you have to ask yourself. I'm not saying it's for everybody. There are people who may be better served from a do-it-yourself strategy. But I think, you know, the, the cost that you pay is not the chief issue, like Steve said. That's just one of the issues. And, and if you're profiting from that advice, in other words, if, if 
yes, you have a get, you have to give up a piece of those returns. But if you're doing better than you would do on your own, then I think that's money well spent. And there's been a Dalbar study that you know most of the time that Absolutely. that's the reality that if under advice because emotions play a critical part. And yes. Just you know when we see the top down mindset in well, what did the headlines say this morning? I'm going to make the decision this afternoon based on that's not always the best way to do it. And the trained professionals don't do that. So. We've talked about two big misconceptions, and I and I think Steve, you've done a good job with that. Number one, this idea behind the you know buy low, sell high, sounds good, but not always easy to do. Not always even the thing to think about. That's right. All right. That's right. Then the misconception about I don't need to pay fees. I, you know, so the idea behind the professional advice can actually return. I know there's a study out that a lot of people looked at that. You know, that the, the professional manager doing his daily day or her daily day job is actually getting a return. And that's what you want to know better than not paying a fee. Exactly right. And that's critical for us to understand that. All right. Drew Johnson, join us right now. He's in the studio with us. Drew actually runs and is the department head of our investment group at the office. And what I really want, Drew, the misconception, and this is really one of those things that so many people lean in on, especially when the stock market starts going up and down and moving like it is right now, the misconception about bonds are safe. Help us with that, Drew. Well, I mean, normally when we're talking about something being safe, we're talking about when, with financial instruments, oh, it's, uh, that means that the price isn't going to fluctuate. If I, if I put in $1,000 today, I can get back $1,000 tomorrow if it's paying this rate of of interest today, it's going to be paying that rate of interest tomorrow. And that that's really not how bonds work, to put it simply. And bonds can trick people up a lot because most people are accustomed to, when it comes to the borrowing and lending relationship, most people are far more accustomed to being borrowers than they are being lenders. But when they own a bond, they're actually in the position of being a lender. And so everything's backwards. And that's why I think bonds seem backwards to a lot of people. Uh, but when you're looking at, at bonds, uh, bonds are just based on cash flows. Ultimately, the, as stocks are, it's just different how the cash flows to the investor. All right. I want us to do this, guys, because so many times, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, 90% of our listening audience, and we're for them. We want them to know that we're doing our best to communicate, Steve. That was a great word, not just talk. But the reality is, when we talk about bonds and, and that side, I want to I want to start with stocks, okay? Steve, I'm going to lean on, on you. Okay. Let's start with stocks. Define for our listening audience, when I buy a stock, what am I buying? Yeah, foundational to understand. When you own a stock, technically, you own a small share of a company. And that's really all it is to it. So Billy wants to start up a lawn mowing business. He buys three lawn mowers. He gets going, and eventually he bumps into a problem. He's got 400 yards, and he can't do it himself. So he hires a few folks, and then he starts going multiple states, and all of a sudden he's got to raise money. One way he can raise money is to sell some ownership to other people. They pour money in. He now shares the ownership, and thus he shares profits with all these other people. That's exactly what a stock is. There's a lot more complication on wall street and the new york stock exchange but that's really fundamentally all it is but you own part of that you lawn own part of it right and and the corollary to that is a bond okay right all right drew right <laughs> there it, you go he just set you up he set me right he up did. Yep. so when you own a bond on the other hand you you do not own a piece of the company 
what you own is a right to a fixed portion of that company's revenue. With a stock, you have a right to a portion of the profits. With a bond, you have a right to a portion of, of the revenue. With a bond, that portion is fixed. With a stock, it's not. Those are some of the basic differences. All right. Then most bonds, you know, you talk about, they compare, you know, you look at what they provide. I want to make sure that we help people understand. We talk about interest payments from a bond. That's a debt. And, you know, then they look at the principal payments. You get your principal back. Now, Steve, I'm going to come to you in a second. What does a stock provide? They're just, okay, I own part of the bond, lawn mowing business. Is that it? You know, so I want to know what that's good. So start with you, Drew. Bond's going to provide what? The bond is ultimately going to provide a stream of income for a fixed amount of time. It's going to provide a steady stream of, of interest payments to you until that bond matures. So the bond has a limited life, unlike a stock. That life could be three months. It could be 10 or 30 or perhaps even even longer years. So when you say a bond, a three-year bond, a five-year bond, something like that, is what, was that what you're saying? That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, all right. Make sure that I'm just trying to help us understand. So, okay, I've got a, a five-year bond. The interest payment is going to be over that five-year period. Be, typically, the bonds are going to pay you that interest payment every six months over that five years. Uh, but those interest payments are ultimately going to come to an end. And at the end of that period, you'll have the option of buying another bond and hoping that interest rates are as good as or better at that time. They might be, they might not be, but that is part of the risk of bond investing. All right. That's what I wanted to hear. The word risk plays into that, the risk that you're taking. So when somebody says all bonds are safe, we are saying, well, not all bonds are safe. You need to be sensitive to that. But what you're saying, the risk is if I've got a bond, that's going to pay me 5% now. I'm getting it. I'm enjoying a 5% return. Well, that'd be pretty good right now. 5%, well, maybe not. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> I could have said that maybe six months ago. That would have been the right thing, but maybe not today. But 5%, and now it's three years from now. My bond matures, and the best I could get is 3%. That's the risk I'm taking by a lowering of that interest rate. The, the risk, the risk of having lower income uh, in the future, is part of the risk of owning of owning bonds. All right, now let's talk about the principle of that bond. I mean, I mean, I've loaned you money. Let's go back to my lawnmower guy, okay, Steve? Yeah. The lawnmower guy owns the business. He's decided he sold stock. Now he's going to do a bond issue to raise more money, but he doesn't want any more on owners. He just wants the cash to come in. Right. That's that exactly right. when when if you go if you go out to the market to get money, you could go borrow it from a bank. That's what that's what most people are used to doing, right? You borrow you borrow money to buy a car. You borrow it from a bank. But if you ta start talking huge numbers, a, a bank typically doesn't do that. So you go to the public market where all of us make up the public market, and we loan money as if we're the bank, and that's all a bond is. All right. So now I've loaned money to Mr. Billy who owns this business. I remembered his name. Yeah, see? that's good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, I, got, I bought stock from him, you know, guys. Come on. Better remember it. <laughs> Better remember. So I got his name. I called him, and I said, hey, I'm loaning you money. And now, now let's go to this, Drew. Is he a good risk at this point? I own stock. I know I'm taking risk there, but I'm, I'm taking risk with my bond. Should I be loaning old Billy money? What do you think? Well, I mean, part of the answer to that question is just the way that our – our, our bankruptcy and our financial laws work is you know, let, let's just say that let's say that you are uh, taking you know what we might think of as a bad risk with with loaning the money to Billy fortunately the way the law works is if Billy's uh, lawn business goes kaput 
you, the bondholder, are are entitled to first dibs, basically, so of what's left of his business. So I might get some of his lawnmowers. You, you might get some of, <laughs> you, yeah, you, you would get some By of his lawnmowers. By the way, guys, we're going to get a phone right. call from Billy. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, don't you? I'm sure there's Billy out here somewhere that owns a, owns a but uh, here's the thought. All right, so if he goes bankrupt, so the higher risk, should I ask for a higher return on my interest rates? Should I get a higher return? If he's been in business 100 years, and owns a you know tremendous business. I'm not taking the amount of risk with Billy if he's just a startup and just you know I'm taking more risk. Should I get a higher interest return? If you're taking more risk, you should definitely expect a higher return for the amount of risk that you're taking, and that would tend to fall on the stock side of the equation rather than the bond side. If your stocks are the last in line, if that company goes out of business, you get whatever's left over <laughs> after everyone else gets theirs. So oh, they oh. so they do demand a higher a higher return for taking on that amount of risk. Well, that makes a good point. Scott, let me ask you this. With that in mind, summarize that. I mean, I'm thinking now I've got a stock in Billy's Lawnmower Shop, and he's doing a great job. He's cutting a lot of grass, and it's a good ownership. And I'm going to get Steve to tell us what we're going to get from that. But the reality is, if I'm taking higher risk, what do we call that in the marketplace today? If I'm, Where would I find a bond like Billy's you know, lawnmower business that would be that much higher risk. What would I look for to buy something like that? Well, there, you know, there's different qualities of bonds, and you're usually loaning money to either a government or a business. Like for instance, Billy's lawn care business. Uh, the the safer bonds are going to be more of your sovereign bonds, like the U.S. Treasuries. Safer, Those, safer meaning lower interest rate. Lower interest rate, less risk of default. Government can always print money to bail themselves out of any kind of debt they they uh, assume. That. Yeah, we've we've seen that. We've seen evidence <laughs> of that lately, right? Uh, or you go to like say Billy's Lawn Care Service, and let's say Billy's not been around that long, doesn't have a great track record. He may be in the what we call the high yield bond market. So again, you're gonna have to he's gonna have to pay an higher higher interest to borrow money because he's a little riskier than the U.S. government borrowed money. So right. you would go to the high-yield market to get that. Low-risk bond market, treasuries. Yes. Governments, you know, yes. most of the time. Now, you could actually be buying governments in some place that's yeah, maybe a higher risk. But yeah. So the reality is that's lower risk than Billy's lawn care service. Yes. It's a high-yield. And so for that, I should get a higher return, a bigger interest Absolutely. rate. Absolutely. Right. The, 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 le the, the greater the chance there is that at some point – that income is going to stop or that Billy won't be able to give you back the full amount of the money that you loaned to him at the beginning. The more the chance there is of that happening, the greater the interest on that bond should be and the greater return the investor should expect to receive and hope to receive from that. And that doesn't mean it's going to always happen that way, but that's what the expectation should be. And Drew, you, you said something uh, earlier that was, that was great, that most people are used to borrowing, not lending. So when you flip the role and you say, okay, well, now I'm buying bonds, which means I'm lending, it means kind of like you're the bank, right? And so the, the, in the bond market, you've got these rating agencies. So people have heard of all these different rating agencies, and actually their job is to rate companies. And that's very much akin to when we go to borrow money from the bank to buy a car, if we've got a 500 credit score, our rate is not going to be as good as, as if we have an 800 credit score. And so we're rated, and the bond market has a rating mechanism as well. And so it's the same idea. If you're riskier, it's more expensive to borrow. And therefore, if you're lending to riskier 
companies or riskier people, you're probably going to, you would, it would make sense to expect a higher rate of return. I think what you're saying is we got to understand. Now, let me lean with you, Steve, in a few seconds that we got left. If, if I'm getting interest rates and principal payment, and I know what that is, five-year maturity, I'm going to get my money back in five years. I've got to pay higher. I'm going to get a higher return if this is more risk involved. But if it's not so much risk, I'm going to be pretty, and I'm, fa- I'm getting fairly comfortable. Now, we're talking about the misconception, are bonds safe? Now, before we go, though, Steve tells us, okay, I got a stock. I'm taking risk. Am I going to get anything from that? Just just taking the stock and ownership, or am yeah, I going to get what? The stocks are a lot more complicated because with a bond, <laughs> there's 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 an obligation, right? Every, there's a, there's a document that says here's the the put and take you you give you get. With stocks, a lot more speculative, M- meaning um, it, it, meaning you don't really have a claim on anything. Right. And in fact, when you have ownership, you have a vote. And so what happens is all stockholders get to, in theory, the stockholders get together and vote on with the extra money that's left over, which we there are companies that don't have money left over. But the companies that you're buying, hopefully they have money left over. You're voting on whether they're going to pay a dividend and give you some of that money back or they're going to buy some of the stock out in the marketplace, back out of the marketplace. or they're going to reinvest in the company. But you really don't have a claim on anything directly like you do with a bond, you're hoping that your stock is worth more later because the company becomes more profitable over time. That's what you're really betting on when you buy a stock. Okay, what I just heard is that I really do need a professional money manager to do all that. (laughs) I mean, that's what it sounded like to me is what you're saying. So if you just tuned in, of course, you're listening to Talk Money on a Saturday morning. We thank you for being with us. We're for you. And coming back, Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson. And we're going to tie in some of these misconceptions and really help you kind of gain some insights into your investment portfolio, but more importantly, what are we looking for in the near future, the next 12 to 18 months? As somebody has said, there is a coming great recession or hurricane. I love that quote. We've heard it all over the place. It's been on the news. We're going to talk some about that. So stay with us. We're going to help you understand what causes a recession and what you should be looking for. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. We'll be back in just a moment. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not an investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. We thank you so much for being a part of the program today. I want to remind you that you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. We would appreciate it very much. We want to always remind you we're for you. So that's the program and what it's designed around. We're hoping that we're giving you, and as Steve said earlier, great communication, not just talk. And that's the important thing right now. We've been talking about some misconceptions 
of investing in the stock market and misconceptions of investing in the bond market. And then we're going to talk a few minutes from now about what's really going on with the economy, interest rates, you know, the idea behind inflation, and are we going to be facing the hurricane of, what would we call this hurricane? I guess, um, <laughs> you know, Sandy, <laughs> Tidelit something? Call it Superstorm Stan Sandy? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've heard it. I think that's what Diamond said. <laughs> yeah, so. Diamond said yeah. it. Superstorm. Yeah, I think that's what we're looking at. And so many people are concerned about that. I mean, literally, I read this morning and actually yesterday that uh, – we're at five, almost five dollars a gallon nationwide. Nickel short, four point four dollars and ninety-five cents, and yet people are still making the trips and doing those things. There's going to be a turning point. There's going to be a tipping point that's going to say too much, and it's you know, and so whether it's going to be at the grocery store or at the gas pump, somewhere out here, we're going to say that's enough. And when that happens, things begin to change, and that's that's I think a lot of people's concern. So. As we we're talking about, we, we went through the idea. And so I really want to lean in with you, Drew, about the idea behind the bonds and and the thought process of what affected bonds this year. Because I think everybody listening, if they're in their 401K, they're looking at their portfolio and say, wait a minute, I thought stocks, if they went down, bonds go up. But they didn't. You saw both the stock market begin to drop in January and the bond market also. What happened and why? Well, what happened was coming out of the of the COVID recession, the central bank, which sets very short-term interest rates, which impact in a very real way employment, uh, did not want to do anything that was going to cause jitters in the in the job market. And wait and a minute, so, is that a technical term? Is that a Greek? I believe it is. It's a technical it term. Is. It's Greek? Is it Greek? Or it, what? It is, oh. It's a fourth-year PhD term, jitters. <laughs> I got uh, it. You have to go to school for years to, to really learn it. I got it. Um, but the, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, was very reticent uh, to do anything that was going to spook uh, the, the overall labor market, even though it was beginning to be clear about middle of the way through last year that we were starting to see some above average inflation. And those numbers continued to go up uh, throughout the latter half of 2021. Certainly, we were seeing that, as you mentioned, with, with gasoline prices. Well, you get to you fast forward to the beginning of this year. At that point, it was clear that the central bank was not only going to begin uh, raising short-term interest rates, which they've begun to do, but that they were going to do so in a more aggressive way than they had in the past. And what that means is they were going to be making uh, rate increases more frequently than had been done in the past. And the, the, at the size of those increases was going to be larger than what it had been done in the past. And when that happened, the whole rest of the bond market adjusted their expectations. People were selling out of bonds that were yielding uh, rates that were possibly half of what the rates were going to be once the central bank finished uh, raising rates on the short end. People, so people were leaving bonds, demand for bonds fell at the very same time that stocks were also declining for not entirely the same reasons. But most of the time, now let me, let me clear something, though. I want to talk about most of the time and, and something else, but I want to clear up. Central bank, is that the Fed? As we, as we hear the Fed, don't argue with the Fed, don't, you know. Don't fight the Fed. Fight the, the, the Fed. The, is the Fed and the central bank the same? The Fed and the central bank are, are one and the same thing. Okay, that's, I want to clear that up. 
And, and to that end, and, you know, you think about the bond that we were describing, what a bond is and all that. An easy way to think about a bond, I, the way I describe it a lot of times, is if you go to the bank, most people know what a CD is. A CD is a lot like a bond because you're loaning the bank money and they pay you an interest rate. And at the end of a year or two years, whatever, they give you the money back. Same idea with a bond. So the easy way to understand what happened in the first half of this year with bonds is interest rates went up. We can explain all the reasons why, but they went up. So if you've got a 2% CD, you put $100,000 in the bank, they, they promise they'll pay you 2%, give you the money back at the end. And then all of a sudden interest rates are 4%. And you look at, you know, your buddy down the road and, and you're like, hey, you want my CD? He's going to say, no, I don't want your 2% CD. I'll just go to the bank and get my 4% CD. The only way he's going to buy your 2% CD that's paying a 2% yield is you have to sell it to him at a discount. And that's exactly what happens in the bond market. And that's all that happened in that first quarter that just caused massive chaos. All right. So discount. So let's say it was a $10 CD. Okay. Yeah. I've got, in order to get you to buy my $10 CD paying 2%, I've got to discount it to $9. Because $9 and the 2% is going to be the equivalent of $10 at 3.5% or whatever. Yeah. That's so, exactly I mean, I right. I didn't calculate that. So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm over here doing the math <laughs> on that, Jim. That's not adding up. But you follow me. I understand that. So, so the pressure here is with rising interest rates, the discount is beginning to affect whether or not I want to hold the bond. That's right. Or sell it. Or that's try right. to get. So that's really what the pressure was. That's, that's what the pressure was. And it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. It's, oh, well, do the falling prices cause the higher yields or do the higher yields cause the falling prices? Uh, you know, we can always have that debate as to which one really caused the other. Uh, but the fact of the matter is it was clear from at the beginning of the year that the existing bonds were going to drop in value simply because new bonds were going to be issued later in the year that were paying a higher yield than current bonds were paying out at the time. All right. I am listening. I am drinking coffee at the kitchen table or I'm driving down I-240 or whatever. And I want to ask you this question. Why does why don't you guys know that? I mean, if you you've been told interest rates were probably going to go up, all right, you're buying bonds. Can't you not protect me somehow? I'm going to you, Scott. And, and put you in a hot seat first. <laughs> then I, but, hey, guys, you're next. But why, why, why can't somebody look at that? Why, why didn't, we knew that interest rates, we've been talking about interest rates going up for years, but what is it that we don't do? Why is it that we can't manage around that? Well, first of all, interest rates are notoriously hard to predict. I mean, uh, you know, it's easy to look at conditions and go, yeah, I kind of see what's going to happen, but that's not necessarily what's going to happen. You and I look at economist lists, every year where they're predicting the direction of interest rates, and they have about a 50-50 uh, success rate of doing that. They about like a coin toss. <laughs> about so like a coin toss. It's, you know, it's, it's hard though, to predict it, but you, there are things you can do to protect yourself somewhat. But the, when you talk about it, it's hard to predict. I mean, the key is we've been trying to predict this for 10 years. Right. I mean, interest rates have been a subject, and we've talked to bond manager after bond manager about what they're thinking and everybody is somewhat, as you say, very difficult. And the economists that we look at, you're saying 50-50. So it's not as easy as I implied that it was. And right. I, I did that on purpose. But the reality is it is something that it you just have to manage around it. And that's the buying and the selling, as Steve said, looking at the discounts and making sure it works. But what did you say? 
Well, I was going to say, I mean, there are things you can do to try to somewhat protect your, protect yourself without trying to predict the future. I mean, it was kind of kind of looking into this year, there was kind of a tendency that you thought, yeah, we're probably going to see rates go up. And, and it's proved to be pretty true. Uh, so you can hold shorter-term bonds. Those are less affected when the rates go up. Um, so I think that is one thing that you can do is try to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of hedge here and, and go a little shorter on the yield curve, if you will, or go shorter-term bonds. I'm not going to buy a 30-year bond. I'm going to buy, uh, let's just stick to maybe five years or, or 10 years. Keep it a little shorter. Yeah, that actually, I'm glad you said that, Scott. That goes exactly to one of the things we were talking about earlier. It, just because you're not doing something doesn't mean the managers of these funds aren't doing things. When we are, we're on calls with these managers, there are all sorts of different types of bonds. There are bonds called floating rate bonds where you loan money and the amount of interest that the, the, the recipient of your money is going to pay you, they actually pay more as interest rates go up. Those aren't nearly as, 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 as adversely affected by rising interest rates as just regular 30-year U.S. Treasury bonds. So th- there's things happening under the hood a lot of times, um, but, but everything we're talking about is absolutely true. It's just that sometimes things are happening and you just don't see it happening. And, and I think another thing that I would add to that, and that's a great point, Steve, I think another thing I'd add to that, Steve said earlier, you know, if you have a CD and they're paying you 2%, you hold it for whatever term you buy it for, whether it's a year, two years, at the end of that, they give you your money back. And the same thing is true for bonds. So, yes, temporarily the value of your bonds will be marked down because they have to mark them to market every day. But if those bonds are held to maturity, you get your full price back on them. So, you know, like Steve said, we got an active manager. They're getting coupons on a, you know, semiannual basis. They're reinvesting those at these higher rates. But they'll also manage around, you know, hey, we're going to hold some of these to maturity. We're not going to sell these at a loss. Or maybe they do sell them at a loss because they see a much better opportunity in the market. So I think that's where the value of having that manager to navigate through that interest rate environment is critical. Right. And I mean, also to add to that, what makes a good investment versus a bad investment is, is to a large extent relative to what other investments are doing. So even if you know, for example, uh, that interest rates are going up for bonds of a certain maturity, that doesn't necessarily mean those bonds are a bad investment. If those bonds end up performing 5% better or 10% better than any other alternative you could put your money into, those bonds would still be a good investment under that, under that scenario. And so in order to make the right call, it's not just a matter of knowing, oh, where interest rates going to go, but it's also a matter of figuring out what are consumer trends going to be six months from now? And nobody knows the answer to that question. Nobody knows what show is going to be popular on TV six months from now that nobody's thought of today. Oh, this I got confusing. an idea. What? <laughs> this sounds confusing. <laughs> it does sound confusing. <laughs> All right, guys, let me know. You know, that we're talking about interest rates and we want to talk about inflation. You mentioned risk and, and really credit risk a while ago and interest rate risk with the bond. I want to, Steve, when we talk about interest rates going up, does that affect the stock market? Was that what caused the stock market to do its thing or what's happening there? Yeah, there's, there's a somewhat indirect relationship. And then you also have to ask short term versus long term. So, it's 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 simple it's simple to see if you just look over long periods of time the best thing to do when there's inflation is own stocks over long periods of time stocks outperform all the other normal investment asset classes and it's pretty by a pretty wide margin however in the short term because as a stock owner what you're theoretically owning is 
cash flows that company is creating. Well, if you take those cash flows and you project them out into the future, you have to say, well, uh, you know, a Coke today is, well, today it's like 250 now. And in 10 years, it might be $5. So it's worth more in the future, right? And so we have to discount that back to today. Same thing's true with cash flow from a stock. So if interest rates go up, just the way math works, those future cash flows are worth less today. And since a stock, in theory, is basically the value of a company's future cash flows, when interest rates go up, it makes the value today worth less, at least academically. All right. I want to talk about that a second. But you mentioned something, and I, and I just think it's critical to know. If you take just historical, I, I like history. If you take from April of 1982, talking about inflation, interest rates, remember interest rates on mortgages and stuff like that, from April of 1982 to April of 1987, I mean, basically a five-year window, okay? Yeah. All right. With a downturn, a correction of about 14% during that period of time, the S&P 500, a 14% correction. I want to give you a number that, since you mentioned it, that was so critical, I think it's important. And that is that the market actually, the S&P 500, tripled in that five-year period, 300%. Now, if you think about the 40-year history since this last time we had inflation like we're having right now, then you understand that bottom line is the markets have gone up from there. So I, I want to lean in a little bit here because I know we are all concerned about, we talked about interest rates, we've talked about inflation, and now we hear the term, you know, the, the hurricane. We tried to name it a while ago, the, the, the Sandy, whatever you want to call it, uh, the hurricane that's coming, recession. So is what does the recession do? How does, why is there a need? Why do we talk about recession? Why does the Fed, if, if we could avoid recession, let me ask this question. Which is worse, recession or inflation? Well, the answer would probably be yes. Uh, <laughs> it depends. It depends. I, you know, so we're, we're scratching on the surface of, uh, of trying to uh, predict things in a short time, a short window. Um, and we were, ta we were talking about this before. The, the, if you want to bet on what has worked historically, then you just bet on the stock market, right? Because if you take long periods of time, all long periods of time, 10, 15, 20 years, most people are investors for that period of time or longer. The market has gone up. Capitalism in the United States has, has increased the economic wealth of the country. That's what the stock market ultimately is, is companies making money. And if companies continue making money, increasing earnings over time, the market's going to go up. So if, if you maintain that perspective, then you step back and ask the question you ask, is it important to think about recessions and, and all that. You could probably make the argument no, and it would be a reasonable argument. However, most of us have some level of tolerance to the ups and downs of the market. And so when you start thinking about recession and depression and inflation and all that kind of stuff, I think what we're really getting at is do we make subtle strategic changes to how we're investing for periods of time, not for eight months or 10 months, but, but over the next five, six, seven years, should we make subtle strategic changes to kind of ebb and flow with the way the market's going? I think that's a much healthier way to think about it than is recession going to be in six months, eight months, 12 months, 18 months? I don't know. It's coming. I mean, that's the only thing I do know. We will have another one. 
Oh, yes, but we don't know if it's going to be 18, 24 months, or five years. You know, it, it's really a better question for, from a standpoint of planning than necessarily behavior. I mean, if you're if you're reading the tea leaves and you have a good idea of what's going on and you think, oh, uh, you know, I can see inflation is going to be up higher next year. I think it's going to be higher next year. Well, that to you, the, indiv- the individual investor, that means, well, if I want to continue investing at a time when it's going to be opportune to do so, I probably better cut back on some of my spending now so that I can actually have money saved up that I can put to work at that point. So it's more a matter of how do I continue investing as opposed to whether I continue investing. You, the, when there's a, a, a recession or a, or a market downturn or inflation, those are all excellent times. Uh, those are all excellent entry points uh, in the public markets as opposed to times when you just, just stay away from them. That, that is such a great point. One of the things that we w- will often hear is, well, what should I do? Like right now, what should I do? The first thing you should do is review your overall financial plan, your overall strategy, because if you don't start there, it's real easy to get cute with your investing and try to predict, right? But if, 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 you, if you review your plan and you know what cash flow is needed, when it's needed and all that, a lot of times some of these questions sort themselves out and you don't need an answer to them. That's a great point. Scott, uh, you talk about no, that all yeah, the time. I, I think that is, that's that's brilliant because I think, you know, what I see that investors, you know, first of all, their expectations can be unrealistic. They don't invest with guiding principles and they operate without a plan. And I think Steve hit on that. When you have a plan that you've put in place and you've figured out, hey, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. You can quantify that, whatever that goal is, whether it's retiring, buying a second home, whatever it is. You can quantify it and kind of decide when you're going to need that money. And from there, you can design a investment strategy based on principles that has a historic probability of hitting the kind of returns you need to reach those goals. And when you do that, you become more comfortable with the process. And these hurricanes of life, as Jamie Dimon likes to call them, they affect you much less because you you understand that this is a normal part of investing. Going through recessions or market downturns, you know, is this a recession or correction? We won't know till we look back. But going through those is a very normal part of investing. You have to expect that. But in order to hit those long-term goals that you're trying to hit, you have to maintain that. And like Steve said, yes, you can make little tweaks around the edges to to anticipate some of the changes in the market. But by and large, by and large, the the asset allocation and, and the diversification doesn't change if the goals haven't changed. Well, I think that's the point. I think the question that a lot of people have to ask themselves, okay, is there, are, are we in a recession? Are we going in? I mean, we kind of say, you know, that's a great question. Nobody really knows. But what if the price in the market, I mean, what if we've already kind of priced in a recession? What if we already know, in other words, the market kind of stays ahead of what's going on economically. The market kind of leads us in and leads us out. So if we price that in, here's the thought for you. So once you start thinking the long term that you guys are putting that together, thinking long term, thinking that this has already kind of priced itself in, then the risk is not what the market's doing, the risk is not being in the market when it does its next 20, 25, 30%, uh, you know, upward turn. Forget the 20% decline, not being in the market when it takes off. And that's the risk that we want to avoid. So it goes right back, buy low, sell high mentality. You can't do that. Let the managers do what they do. Let them pick 
Forget about what the bond's going to do because you're going to get your bond. You're eventually, it's going to mature. You'll get your money. All those things happen. Just don't panic because somebody on the news media is hammering and hammering and hammering and making statements that create that anxiety that we all know about. That's right. I mean, well, and, and <laughs> the media, you have to – this is cynical, but at the same time, I think if you're ever going to take investment advice – from the news, from a financial advisor, whatever, it's always a good idea to think, okay, what's the motivation, all right? Bloomberg's talking to mutual fund managers, and CNN, Fox News, they probably are selling advertising for their commercials. So just be just be conscious of who's talking to you and why they're delivering the message they're delivering. That is so good of information. Scott, you want to close with something? Well, you know, we were talking about the markets, and really, you know, predicting the markets is fairly easy. All you have to do is be able to predict earnings and then the price people are willing to pay for those earnings. <laughs> so if you can get those two variables correct, Boy, put it so clean. you can predict the market. But we know that the economy, the people's attitudes towards what's going on, that all affects uh, either those earnings or the price people are willing to pay for those, pay for those earnings. But I would bet on the side of the innovative companies of America that, you know, maintaining principles, not the issue. Maintaining purchasing power is the issue. So I say stay invested, invest for the long term, and keep a level head. That's good. I like the term that I read from a man by the name of Nate Friedman. Friedman, he says, pessimists sound smart. I like that. Optimists make money. That's great. I want to thank you, my guests. These guys have been great. Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson. If you have questions for Steve, Scott, or Drew, you can reach them at 901-757-5757. Give them a call. If they're there to answer your questions. We're for you, and we want you to know that. You can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast, and please leave us a review. We would appreciate it. Next week, my guest, Dane Williams, will be here talking about an insurance update and the summer from an independent agent standpoint. You don't want to miss that. Scott Jordan will be back, and Karen Vogelsang will be with me. She's the executive director of Arise to Read, and she'll talk about her summer programs right here in our great city of Memphis. That's Saturday morning at 7 and again Sunday at 12 noon. If you have questions, send them to Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. That's Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. We'll be glad to get those questions on the air. I want to thank you so much for listening. We want you to know, we've said it multiple times, we are for you. We want you to enjoy this program, helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.